So in continuation, uh, Matthew 27, verse 1. And, you know, it's morning now. And, you know, if, if you hit the rewind button from right here at this point to the previous evening, you know, the Lord was arrested. He was beaten. They put the, the, the cover on his face and they were punching him. But then you hit the rewind button even further. And remember, you know, they're, they're in the upper room and they're having a meal together, the, 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 the Passover meal. And what's so interesting is if you remember our study in the law, you know, and you don't have to turn there. But in our study in the law, the Lord says in Exodus chapter 12, this is when Israel came out of Egyptian bondage or you know, slavery. And the Lord gives them the command for the Passover. And he says, you know, to take a lamb in, in chapter 12, verse 5 of Exodus. He says, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or the goats. He says in verse 6, now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And then the command is given in verse 8. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. In verse 10, he says, let none of it remain. Eat it all. Eat it all. He says, do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted with fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. And when you see this lamb and in the old testament how it's symbolic for the lamb of god it for me it blows me away and i'm going to venture to say it does the same for you too to understand that in the old testament if we wanted atonement for our sin if we were uh if we were part of israel or if we were uh, uh strangers and we were uh kind of uh, uh, uh assimilated into israel we would bring the first fruits of our of our flock. We would take the a, a lamb without blemish and offer it to the priest, and the priest would sacrifice the lamb and sprinkle us with blood, and then go and take some of the blood and put it on the altar. And this is all in accordance with the law. And I'm not advocating the law at all, but what happens is when you understand that life is in the blood. You know, in the Old Testament, God says that life is in the blood. Then you start to see blood for blood, how it's a transfer of my sin and your sin. And what's happening here is that Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. You know, in the Old Testament, we would bring our lamb. But then in the New Testament, it's when, you know, love came down in the form of a child, you know, born of a virgin. And then all of a sudden, it's God saying, look, this is a new covenant. And it's him giving us his lamb. It's just, it's just a matter of belief and faith in Jesus Christ. And then something happens where these people, these religious leaders, these chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, they were blind. They didn't understand these things because what they were doing is they followed the letter of the law. And the letter of the law brings death. And you might think, how could the letter of the law, how could the law of God bring death? Because in the law is the knowledge of sin. You know, so for example, if you were to take a room full of 10 four-year-olds, put them in a room with no adults, and you put them in a room 
and <laughs> it would be total chaos. But then you you take a box, you know, and like a present, and you put it on a table, and you say, "Okay, nobody touch this box." And then you walk away, and you close the door, and you know you turn on the camera, and you watch what happens. Somebody's gonna get hurt, you know, because it's something happens when somebody tells you no. It's it's part of our carnal nature, and that's what the law does. Where it's like you know, okay, the Lord doesn't like this. He doesn't like this. He doesn't like this. He doesn't like this. But then something brews inside of us. It's part of the human condition, you know. And then so now you know, in the covenant of the the, the this new covenant in Christ, which we're gonna study more in a little bit. It's a totally different ballgame. It's the concept of grace and mercy. Not that there wasn't grace and mercy in the Old Testament. But these are things that the Pharisees were totally blind to. And so now it's morning. A very, very rough evening. I don't even want to say it's a rough evening. I mean, it's devastating. He says in verse 1 in chapter 27, he says, When morning came... All the chief priests and the elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. These are people who were blind. Notice, these are the religious leaders too. These are the ones who should have understood scripture and said, oh my goodness, this is the Messiah. These are the ones who were in that position where they should have understood the prophecies. But no, they were blind. You know, and it's such a trip because what happens, that's the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. And that's when Jesus Christ, he's very mad at the hypocrisy. In chapter 23, when he calls them out on their hypocrisy. In Matthew 15, verse 8, he tells them right when they're hearing. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. It's all for show. It's all for show. You know, and it's such a trip because what happens is you see it in the church today. How people talk about the Lord. They even say they love the Lord. And that's why Jesus Christ says you have to look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. What is it that's in their lives? What is it that's happening? You know, a guy who will say, oh, yeah, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. But then, you know, you see his wife and she's got a black eye. You know, or you see the kid and, you know, he's got a bruise on his arm. And it's like, wait a second. You know, you have to look at the fruit. Pastors even who exhort, you know, the the faith, exhort people to live in accordance with Scripture. But then you look at the fruit. What's going on in their lives? You know, a pastor who beats on his wife, cheats on his wife, goes back to drugs and alcohol. It's like, wait a second. This isn't you look at the fruit. That's why the Lord tells us you have to look at the fruit. And, you know, when the, 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 the disciples that were following Jesus Christ, when they heard Jesus Christ say these things, they were like, you know, Lord, the, the Pharisees, they're offended. And still in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus Christ tells them, you know, let them be. Let them be. Who cares if they're offended? You know, if people want to follow the blind, both will follow in a ditch. And that's that state, that fallen state. But praise be to the Lord, because what happens is like it's in those moments where it's like, you know, if you've ever been in a situation where you... 
It's like, what have I done, you know? What have I done? You know, and I say praise be to the Lord because it's in those moments you're in such a big ditch. You can look left, you can look right, you can look in front of you, you can look behind you, and you see the error of your ways. The only thing you can do is look up and you see the hands of the Lord. Hey, you know, are you done? Are you done fighting? And all these people, you know, you read the Bible and, you know, the Lord doesn't like hypocrisy. You talk to somebody, hey, you know, I don't have a lot of friends like I used to have, but, you know, they say, hey, Jay, how you doing? Oh, you know, I'm good, you know, and it's like, hey, come to church with me, you know. Oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not walking with the Lord anymore. I'm done, you know, all the hypocrisy I see in the church, all the hypocrites, I'm never stepping foot in the church. It's like, you know, the Lord doesn't like hypocrisy either. And here are these hypocrites in their blindness. They now say, we have to kill him. Let's kill Jesus Christ. He says in verse 2, And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now, just to give an example of geopolitics, what's happening here, when you... Pontius Pilate is, I mean, if I were to put it in, say, for example, we have like, uh, like we're residents of Vancouver and, you know, we live in Vancouver and then there's the mayor of Vancouver, but then there's a governor of Washington. And then, you know, the governor of Washington, there's the like the president of the United States. So geopolitically speaking, what happens is that in, in this area of Judea, the mayor was like Herod. You know, which we're going to talk about a little bit more. Uh, the family of the Herodian family. Pontius Pilate is like they straight up went to the governor, you know. And, and so when Pontius Pilate, and we're going to see this more in the book of Acts. He invokes the name of Caesar, which is like going to the, the president, you know. So just to give an example of how that works. And so these religious leaders, they deliver Jesus Christ to, 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 to Pontius Pilate, the governor. And remember that it's not captured here in the book of Matthew. And just so you guys know, when you look at the four Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's for people who are writing about similar events. It would be like if if Liz comes in the room and says, uh, hey guys, can you write um, you know, a dissertation about basketball? You know, and I might write from one perspective, Fur's gonna write from another, Emily's from another, and then Megan from another. But if you put all four of our stories together, it illustrates a greater picture and that's that's the four gospels you know matthew mark luke and john and what's so powerful is that these are people who walked with the lord and you see jesus christ how he's all alone but then in the power of the holy spirit they return to jesus christ and they're empowered by the holy spirit and i can't wait till we're in the book of acts because we're going to see the empowering of these people by the Holy Spirit. But then at the same time, you're going to see the church just blow up. The church is going to blow up. We're like 2,000 people come to Christ like that in one day. 
There's no, you know, you look at people today and it's like, wow, you know, we have 2,000 converts. And then they start to say, okay, you go over here to this Catholic church. You go over here to this Lutheran church. You go over here to this Methodist church. And it's like, you know, it. you look at the doctrine of what's being taught in these places. And it's like, wait a second, this this isn't right. And I'm not trying to say that it's like a, you know, to people to people coming to Christ. It's a beautiful thing. But then at the same time, it's like sound doctrine is the safety. That's that's the safety is, is, you know, Paul even tells Timothy about that. You know, he says abide in sound doctrine because in so doing, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. It's a very holy prescription. I can't describe it, but it's a holy prescription. And what happens, these religious leaders, they, they take Jesus Christ to Pontius Pilate. And in the book of John, chapter 18, verse 28, it says that these religious leaders, they did not enter the praetorium, which is where the governor lived. It was his house. They did not enter the praetorium because what happened, it says they didn't want to be defiled. They didn't want to be defiled. The religious leaders. And you know, it makes me think even more and more and more about these hypocrites. Look at what they're doing to the Son of God. They conspired to kill him. Look at what these people are doing to the Son of God. And then they say, oh, we're holy. I don't want to step foot in the praetorium, in the governor, in, in, in the house of Pontius Pilate, because it's Passover week and look how holy we have to be. And look at what they're doing to the Son of God, these hypocrites. Because these are people who want to be seen as holy. They want to be seen as holy. And, you know, it blows me away because, like, you know, it's like they flaunt their so-called holiness. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, Brother Peter, remember the one who we looked at last week who denied the Lord? When he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, he's a totally different guy because he returned to the Lord. But br Brother Peter in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says, It's better not to have believed than to know and not follow the Lord. And you think like, what do you mean it's better not to, to, to have known? You mean you're telling me that it's better not to have known the Bible, not to have known Scripture? Yes. Because once you know, you're held to an account. To me, that scares me. And I don't mean scary and like, you know, like, oh my goodness, we're going to burn in hell. I mean scary like reverence for the Lord. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what the Bible says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And what's so beautiful is over the course of any person's life, it's the process of learning, learning to trust in the Lord more and more and more. And even through mistakes, you know, you might say like, well, I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to go ahead and do this anyway. And then when you partake in that, you realize like, man, I should have listened to the Lord. And it's it's part of growth. It's part of learning. The bad part is when you say, oh, I know the Bible says this. I'm going to partake in this. And then you partake in this. And it, you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And instead of repenting and returning to the Lord in pride, you say, you know what? I'm going to stay here. Or I'm going to dabble in this now and this and this. 
That's what Satan did to Judas. And, you know, these um, in, in the book of Luke, chapter 23, verse 2, these leaders, these so-called leaders, they go to Pilate and they tell Pilate, we find that this man perverts the nation. They're talking about Jesus Christ. This guy is perverting the nation. And all that the Lord is doing is giving the truth of God's holy word. That's all he's doing. The word became flesh. Remember, several hours earlier in the evening, they were beating him. Mocking him. They covered his face and they were punching him. And they were saying, hey, prophesy to us. Who was it that hit you? Who was it that smacked you? And when you read the Old Testament prophecies, they were ripping at his beard. And he said not a word. And you think like, wow, how could these people do it? How could these religious leaders of Judaism do it? Well, you know, the Romans are coming next. The Jews, they mocked him, they beat him, and the Romans are going to do it even worse. An Old Testament prophecy coming true, how Jesus was rejected by both Jew and Gentile. Both Jew and Gentile rejected Jesus Christ. And you know, a lot of times, I'm not a replacement, like I don't believe in replacement theology. What replacement theology is, is to say that God is done with Israel. I don't believe that at all. You know why? Because I read my Bible. There's a lot of people out there who say God is done with the Jews. God is done with Israel. He's not done. Not done at all. And we're going to study that more when we get into the book of Acts, the book of Romans. But these people, they come up with these stupid ideas like, well, you know, God is done with Israel. And now the promise is to the Christians. No, a lot of people believe that. But a lot of prophecy has to be fulfilled still. You know, and it blows me away because, you know, when I hear of Jews uh, uh, rejecting Jesus Christ and then uh, uh, the Romans rejecting Jesus Christ, it reminds me of me. And, you know, I'm going to venture to say that it reminds me, reminds you of yourself as well. Rejection of Jesus Christ. That's the fallen state of man. You know, and I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about, you know, there are BC days before Christ. You know, but praise be to the Lord because the scales were lifted from our eyes. And now it's like we have these spiritual eyes, eyes to see and ears to hear. But these religious leaders, they didn't have that. They were blind to it. Now look what happens here in verse three. Then Judas. You know, when you look at when you read the Gospels in chronological order, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You start to see how Satan entered Judas at specific times, you know, and a lot of people say, well, you know, Satan or Judas was uh, possessed by Satan, which he was. But when I read this, it's I kind of see it how Judas left the door open. Satan was like in and out of him because you're going to see Judas. His behavior is different here, you know, because, you know, you could say and it's not that I want to get into a theological argument with anybody. But the fact remains that Judas left the door open. 
The door was wide open to things of the occult. The door was open to demonic things. The door was open to Satan himself. There's such a thing as a demonic possession. You know, but then like satanic possession, it only happened to two people in the Bible. Judas and the Antichrist. The Antichrist who's coming. Prophetically speaking, he's coming. Me personally, you know, we haven't really studied. Well, I guess we have a little bit. But I believe we're a church of the last days. And I don't want to freak anybody out by saying that. But, you know, you read the Bible. You see these prophecies. You see what's happening in, in the global arena. Chaos all over the place on the global scale. But who's the man with the plan? Who's going to come on the world scene and teach peace? And the Bible says there's going to be a peace, but it's a false peace. It's a fake peace. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. Are, is it, are we living in the days, you know, of the, where, you know, the Lord teaches us about the signs of the times? Are we living in the times of the signs? But Judas now, it says here that Judas, his betrayer, he betrayed Jesus Christ. Seeing that he had been condemned, he's witnessing all these things. What are they doing to Jesus Christ? Look what happens now. Was remorseful. Translates as he regretted his choice, his decision. And this is, this is what leads me to believe that the door was open to satanic influence, to Satan himself. Because the fact that he felt this remorse, he felt this regret. So it's like the door was open, Satan came into him, used him for a purpose, came out and went in. That's, that's how I interpret things. So Judas was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. And if you remember, if you go back a little bit, hit the rewind button and go to chapter 26, verse 14. He says, then one of the 12 called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, this is while Jesus Christ is in the upper room with the disciples. Meanwhile, kind of, so to speak, something else is happening. And Judas Iscariot, he's with the chief priest now. In verse 15, he says, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. So it was already in his heart. And then passages of scripture, like in uh, uh, Luke 22, verse 3, says Satan entered him. So Satan was already, that's what I say when the door, he left the door open. This door was left wide open for satanic influence or Satan himself. And what really blows me away is now Judas going back to Matthew 27, verse 3. He's remorseful. He's regretful. And he got exactly what he wanted. He got exactly what he wanted. And now he's regretful. And it reminds me of you and it reminds me of me. Have you ever in your life been in a situation where you're like, well, I want this. Whatever it is, I want this. Whatever it is. Sex, drugs, alcohol, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. I want this. And then you get it. You get exactly what you wanted. And then you're regretful. What have I done? What did I do? It's in moments like that where we can fall to our knees in repentance to the Lord. All of us, we're in the same boat. 
You get exactly what you wanted. Like, man, this whole time I've been thinking about this. I can't wait to drink my vodka. I can't wait to go back to my crack. I can't wait to see this guy or girl again. And you get exactly what you want. And then in the course of time, as things play out, you're in a situation where it's like, what have I done? It's in those moments where we can learn to trust in the Lord more and more and more and more. And, you know, it's such a trip because truth hurts. Truth is very painful. And when we start to play games with the Lord, it's like, wow, you know, I want this so bad. Whatever it is. And I have to say, sex and drugs is a big deal these days in the church. It's destroying the church. Pornography, drugs. I mean, it's legal now. Everybody's doing their drugs now. Some certain areas of California, they want to legalize LSD now. They want to legalize all these so-called natural forms of um, hallucinogens. It's crazy. We live in crazy days. And the truth of Holy Scripture, it's very painful because what God is doing, He's confronting the natural man and the natural woman. And what do I mean by saying that? The carnal nature. The carnal man, the carnal woman. Turn with me really quick to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy chapter 3. And this is what Paul is telling young Timothy. He says here in verse 12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you. That's what I love so much about this. Because, you know, have you ever, like... You look at the world at large, you look at, I mean, if you watch the news, you know, local news, you know, you don't have to get on like world news, but like just local news. You see like, wow, you know, this guy molested this kid, this guy killed this lady, murder and thefts and all these things. It's like, wow, this world is so messed up. And it is. And what Paul is doing, he says, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived by you. But you, you know, it doesn't have to be that way for you or me. Because the Lord is at work in my life and in your life, in my heart and in your heart. So as we consider the landscape of the world that we live in, you can look at it like, oh, you know, and get kind of like in the doldrums, so to speak, or just like, okay, but I'm going to make my decision. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And Paul says, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Paul walked the walk. It wasn't a hypocrite who was telling Timothy these things. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then this next verse, bind it on your heart for as long as you live. Bind it on your heart, your mind, your soul. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, 
for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And bind these words on your heart. Because if you're like me, you're going to read the Bible sometimes and it's going to be like a knife in your heart. It's going to be like a knife in your heart. And you're going to realize like, man, you know, that you blew it. You're going to feel like you're going to feel shame. And what I say is praise be to the Lord. Because it's in those moments where the Holy Spirit is showing you this is your way and this is God's way. And you fall to your knees and you repent and you say, as the Lord says, not my will, thy will. And you abide in Christ. You do that for the rest of your life. The rest of your life. You say, well, you know, I like my crack, you know. I like my drugs. I like my alcohol. I like my sexual adventures. Well, count the cost. Count the cost. You know, and, you know, being a Christian, it's, it's not a bed of roses, you know, so to speak. The fellowship of the saints, it's a beautiful thing. But it's not a bed of roses in terms of the world. The world will hate you. And here Judas, going back to Matthew 27. <coughs> in Matthew 27, he's remorseful. He regrets all these things. And he takes back the, 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 he brings back the 30 pieces of silver that he got from the chief priests. He got exactly what he wanted. Everything that he wanted, he had. And now he's, he feels that remorse. And this is Judas now in verse 4. This is what he says. It says, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, remember, he's speaking to the chief priests. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. I'll give you the translation of what they told him. What do we care? That's your problem. And, I, you know, I'm not trying to sound as, you know, to have sympathy for the devil. But it kind of breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because these religious leaders, they don't, they don't care. They were hypocrites. They don't care about his soul. You know, it's all about me. It's all about me. I want to be seen like a, I'm a holy person. And like even when they went to Pontius Pilate, you know, in, in John chapter 18, it says that they didn't want to enter the home of Pontius Pilate. Because they wanted to appear holy. Well, you know, it's the Passover. And, you know, I, I don't want to defile, be defiled. So I'm just going to stay outdoor. I'm not, I'm not going to enter the, the praetorium. Because they wanted to appear holy. You know, and then they tell in Luke chapter 23, they say about Jesus Christ. They say, we found this man perverting the nation. They're the ones who are the perverting the truth of Holy Scripture. Jesus Christ said of them. In earshot of these people, in Matthew 23, verse 3, he says, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. He's calling out these posers, these actors, these so-called leaders. For they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders, 
but they themselves will not move move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They want to be seen as holy people. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues, greeting in the market greetings in the marketplaces. And to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. You see, the Lord is calling them out on their hypocrisy. Matthew 23 is a hardcore. Anybody who, you know, if you ever are on a Christian high horse, like, oh yeah, I'm of the elect. All you have to do is read Matthew 23. He calls out hypocrisy. You talk to these people who say, you know, you're like, hey, come to church, come to church. You know, God loves you. And they're like, I want nothing to do with God. All these hypocrites. This pastor's a hypocrite. This youth leader's a hypocrite. Youth pastors who have sex with, you know, teenage girls. Teenage boys even. Disgusting, disgusting things. You think the Lord isn't disgusted either? They're going to give an account. They're going to stand before the Lord one day. They will stand before the Lord. And to me, it freaks me out. I don't get how these people, it's like, don't you fear the Lord? And pastors who want to save face, like, oh, you know, don't call the police. Don't call the police. That's, you know, we got we to gotta put this under the rug. You can't put that under the rug. You need to expose it. And get that guy out of the church. He doesn't belong. And then call the police. It's crazy. All these people, it's like, you know, and that the Lord is, he calls them out on their hypocrisy. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. And here they are living out their hypocrisy. Judas says, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood in verse 4. And they say, what is that to us? You see to it. What do we care? That's your problem. You see these hypocrites? They don't even care about these souls. These souls. And then in verse 5, then he threw down the pieces of silver. This is Judas. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. I don't mean to sound crass in saying this, but Satan reminds me of a pimp. Because he'll take somebody, use and abuse them, and then kill them. And I know that sounds like, whoa, you know, that we're in church, you can't speak that way. But, you know, you read the satanic influence in the Bible and how the Lord says, hey, don't listen to these people. Don't partake in things of the occult. And then you see when people do it, and then you see the aftermath. How Satan will use and abuse and then kill Turn with me to John really quick. John uh, chapter 8. John chapter 8 verse 44. Verse 44. Jesus Christ is again, he's speaking to the Pharisees. Because in verse 39, they're like, they said they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. They wanted to be like, wow, you know, we follow the law. We're so hardcore. We even go back to Abraham. We're followers of Abraham. We're followers of Moses. But then in verse 44, Jesus Christ says to them, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. 
And it's already in their heart to kill Jesus Christ when he's saying this to them. And the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He's speaking about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own own resources for he is a liar and the father of it. All he does is spew lies. That's all he does is spew lies. In verse 45, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Truth, it hurts. Truth is painful to hear. Truth is painful to read. You know, I used to sit in the pews of our church in California. I used to sit in those pews and I hated everything the pastor would say. I hated everything. And I was so mad. I didn't have my Bible. I didn't even have a Bible. I hated I was just listening. And I hated everything that this guy had to say. He would speak about all these things, sexual sin, alcohol, drugs. And he would say all these things. And I was like, who is this guy? You know, I want to come to church and feel good about myself. And I didn't feel good. And I was like, okay, you know, what is this guy saying? So I took my Bible. I started taking my Bible to church. And he would say, turn with me here. And I turn, follow. And he would start to read. And then I realized my problem isn't with this guy at the pulpit because I'm following along with every letter that he's saying. And I realized my problem is with the Lord. And truth is very painful. But how beautiful it is to fall on one's knees and say, Father, forgive me. I blew it. You know, five years ago, I wanted this. Two weeks ago, I wanted this. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. And then I got exactly what I wanted. And then you realize, what have I done? You repent. And praise be to the Lord. But what's happening here with Judas, he goes and he kills himself. He hangs himself. You see, Satan, and I don't mean to sound crass, but he reminds me of a pimp. He'll take somebody, use and abuse. And I have to say something about sorrow because Judas, it's kind of like, how do I say, I don't even know how to say it. You know, Judas made his choice. He made his choice. He left the door open and he fell by transgression. He was one of the 12. He walked with the Lord and he fell by transgression. But then at the same time, that's the problem with transgressing. When you know what you ought to do or when you know what you ought not to do and you do it anyways, something happens in your heart where it gets harder and harder and harder and harder and harder. And finally, you're deaf to the Lord. You're blind to the Lord. And sorrow is part of the human experience. It's a natural emotion. But what I say or what I ask is, who are you going to listen to? Are you going to listen to Satan, who was a murderer from the beginning and who is the father of lies? Or are you going to listen to the Lord? Are you going to listen to the Lord? You see, we live in crazy days, you know, suicide. It's very, very popular. It's become popularized. 
You know, and it blows me away because, you know, just a couple weeks ago, there was a pastor who committed suicide. And, you know, all these people are saying, wow, he's in heaven now. He's in heaven now. I can't say that. I can't say that at all. And I'm saying this as, you know, I have two failed suicide attempts. You know, I tried to kill myself once and I failed. And then I was hardcore. I was like, I'm not failing in the second time. And, you know, the Lord kept me alive. Sorrow is part of the human emotion. To be so depressed, you know, even still, I have depression in my life where even my wife, the wife of my youth, she can comfort me in a million different ways. But with certain topics, her hands are incapable. And I say that with all due respect to my wife, my bride, the wife of my youth, all due respect to her. But there are certain things in my life that she just cannot comfort. And what I love about those moments, it's like, wow, I can fall to my knees and I can go before my Lord and say, Father, my heart aches. My heart hurts. The alternative would be to drink my brains out, to go back to the bottle. And that's the voice of Satan. And that's what's so cool about a lifetime is that you can learn these things. Wow, I'm depressed. It's like, wow, when I was depressed, I used to run to the bottle. Or now I'm depressed and I fall to my knees and I run to the Lord. And suicide, it's become popularized like an easy, like one track to heaven. Don't forget that Satan tried to have Jesus Christ commit suicide. Don't forget about that. When Satan goes to Jesus and takes him up to the top of the roof of the temple and he says, you know, jump down, jump down because it is written. Even the angels will bring you down so that, you know, not even your foot will be harmed. He used the Bible. And Jesus Christ says it is also written. He used the Bible. That's what Satan does. What Satan did with Jesus Christ is he cherry picked the Bible. That's the danger behind cherry picking. I mean, have you ever seen somebody, you know, they're like praying for the will of the Lord. And it's like, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then all of a sudden they'll read one little verse and then they'll run with it. Wow, that's confirmation. You know, I'm going to go and run with that. It's like, wait a second. You know, Satan did that with Jesus Christ. He gave him a Bible verse. And Satan, or the Lord says, it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. That's why we're told to test the spirits. We're taught these things to test the spirits. It's like some hardcore warfare. Hardcore warfare. And when you lend ear to Satan, so many people are lending ear to Satan. And I wonder if Satan is whispering, you know what? Just jump off this bridge. Get a pistol and blow your brains out. You know, go hang yourself in the closet. And these kids, it's like these young people. Suicide is so age 15 to 25. You know, that's the highest suicide rate. And it kills me. It breaks my heart. Because in the aftermath of, you know, look at the destruction that happens. This pastor who killed himself a couple weeks ago, he had a wife and two kids. 
It's like, yeah, he's not feeling, you know, he wants to put an end to his pain, but look at the pain he's creating. His wife and kids, you know, no husband, no dad. I can't say, you know, people are saying, yeah, he's with the Lord now. He's with the Lord now. I can't say that. You know, all I know is that Satan is a, a murderer. A, 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 from the beginning, he was a murderer. He's the father of lies. And to whisper in somebody's ears, why don't you kill yourself? Just like he told to Jesus Christ, why don't you kill yourself? Jump off the bridge because it is written and he quotes the Bible. You know, be careful because this young generation, suicide is glamorized in this generation. You know, all these kids who've been bullied in school, you know, these, you know, and these guys beat them up, you know, or whatever. They make fun of them. And these kids, they get so depressed. These young minds who have no idea how to filter emotion. And then you have parents who want to be their friend, you know, instead of being a parent. They want to be friends with their kids. And then something happens where the kid's like, okay, I can't go here, I can't go here, I can't go here, so I'm going to jump off a bridge. I talked with a young guy one time. It was late at night. The mom called me crying, and I was like, you know, what, what's up? What's going on? She says, hey, you know, my son, something's wrong, you know. This I was like, okay, let's, you know, tell my wife. And we went over to their house. And then I walk in the house, the dad's like mad, oh, my son did this. The mom is mad, but crying, oh, my son did this. I go into the room, you know, and then, you know, I close the door and the kid was pretending like he was sleeping because it was late at night. I turn on the lights, like, wake up, you're not even sleeping, you know, and he gets up, you know, and we have a talk. And then he ran out, you know, I get, when I walked in the house, they were like, wow, you know, my son, he's gonna, he, he, he went away, you know, and he ran away or did whatever. But then when I talked to the son, it was just me and him. And he told me, yeah, I almost committed suicide tonight. I was like, what? what? And he showed me his suicide note that he wrote. He's like, man, you know, I was going to walk to this bridge and I was going to jump off and that'd be the end of everything. And I told him, I said, man, like, it's so hard because... These kids, they don't have any idea how to filter, how to, how to, because depression, it's a natural, it's part of the human experience. You're going to be depressed beyond belief in this life. But that's this life, which is just a vapor. The Bible says life is just a vapor. You know, it's getting cold out. And you go outside, you know, and you exhale, and it's like you see your breath just dissipate, you know? And it just, it's here today. It's when it's close to you, it's here, but then it gets further out, it just disappears. And that's what the Bible says this life is. There is a life to come. Eternity. And you know, you see, when you read through uh, Genesis and you see paradise lost. And then you get to the very end and you see paradise gained. You know, it's to endure the hardships of life. I'm not trying to say it's a piece of cake. But when you read the Old Testament, when you read Habakkuk, you know, I'll just, it's not even a lot of chapters. But when you read Habakkuk, you see Habakkuk is very, very depressed. And he goes to the Lord and he's like, Lord, 
what do I do? You say you're this God, you say you're mighty, but I look at my people, look at my heart, and what do I do? And the Lord tells them, Habakkuk, I'm doing something. I'm going to blow you away. I'm at work. And then he feels the comfort of the Lord, and then you get to the subsequent chapters, and he's rejoicing. He's praising the Lord. And you know what? The Lord's not done writing the chapter in your life. All you have to do is let him. That's it. All you got to do is let him and yield to him. Look at Joseph. When Joseph was imprisoned by his own brothers, and they conspired, they wanted to kill them. Reuben, he wanted to kill him. And it was Simeon who stopped him and says, no, 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 don't kill him. And they threw him, they threw him in, the, in, in, the, in the little pit. And he could hear them talking. Here Joseph is, the younger brother. And he can hear his brothers talking. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. Like, no, 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 don't kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. Then they lift him up. Imagine your own brothers lifting you up. And you're thinking like, maybe they're going to embrace me. Maybe I'm going to feel their embrace around me, you know. Maybe I'm going to kiss his cheek again. But no, the brothers say, here, let's sell him into slavery. And just imagine the heart of Joseph, broken. And then what the Lord does with his life in the course of time. How he exalts him and lifts him up again. I mean, the Lord can do that with anybody. The Lord did it with Joseph. And that's what's so powerful about these things because people listen to the voice of Satan. That's why, you know, I don't believe in once saved, always saved at all, at all. You know, not to name names or anything, but there's this guy by the name of John MacArthur who calls himself a pastor. And I don't, I don't, I can't say that about him. He calls himself a Bible teacher. I can't say that about him, but he was sued recently. Because he in counseling, you know, somebody wanted to receive counseling, you know, once saved, always saved. If I kill myself, am I going to go to heaven? And they were saying like, you know, once saved, always saved. So, yeah, you know, it's, you know, this whole doctrine of once saved, always saved. So the kid killed himself and the family sued the church. That's this crazy, crazy doctrine that's going on. Oh, yeah, go ahead, beat on your wife, cheat on your wife, you know, do your drugs, do whatever, and you'll still be in heaven. And you read the writings of Paul, he says, do not be deceived, nor fornicator, no liar, no thief will enter the kingdom of heaven. Such were some of you, but you are cleansed. I love when he says that such were some of you. It's past tense. To reckon the old man dead, reckon the old woman dead. And Judas here. When he says in Matthew chapter 27, verse 4, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And the religious leaders say, what do we care? That's your problem. When they should have told them about the atonement for sin. They should have, but they were hypocrites. And so then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. He left the door open for satanic influence. He left the door wide open when the door should have been shut. How was the door open? By playing games with God's grace. 
he fell by transgression, which we're going to read in Acts. And so in verse 6, but the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them in the treasury because they are the price of blood. You see these hypocrites? They want to appear holy. It's not lawful for us. That's the letter of the law. They were, these were adherents to the letter of the law and they were blind. It's not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. These hypocrites. These hypocrites who were deaf to the spirit of the law. And you know, we studied this a little bit more in depth, but in Romans chapter 6 and 7, Paul makes the strong exhortation about the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Now look what happens here in verse 7. And they consulted together, these religious leaders with their carnal eyes, the so-called wise men. You know, for the people with their carnal eyes to look at these people, wow, look how wise these guys are. But you, you put on, you know, Christian goggles, the eyes of the spirit, and you realize these guys are fools. They consulted together and bought with them uh, the, the silver, the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. In the Aramaic, it translates as Akeldama in the Aramaic. If you... You remember how, you know, a couple weeks ago, you look at like the, the Temple Mount or Mount Zion. It's like this high point in Jerusalem. So it's like this, it's this high plateau where there's the, the they have the, the temple there and then they have the housing there for the, um, uh, the priests that were supposed to work in the temple. And Jesus Christ, he was, when he was in Caiaphas, they took him here. But on the south side is where this field of blood was. This Akeldama, this region, it's about a half mile south and it's very, very steep slopes, very steep slopes. In verse nine, you see the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Turn with me really quick to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32. In Jeremiah 32, verse 36, Jeremiah here, he is in prison. He's imprisoned by this king of Judah by the name of Zedekiah. And he's, they call Jeremiah the lonely prophet or the weeping prophet because the Lord was speaking to him exclusively. You know, all these people, the, the religious leaders, they weren't speaking for the Lord. And the people, the, the king didn't like it. So he threw Jeremiah in prison. And then he says here in verse 36, he says, Now, therefore, thus says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the city of which you say it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. Behold. I will, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. 
You know, it blows me away because what's happening here, when you look at verse 23, it's not the Lord being vengeful. It's not the Lord like, you know, he's not making the decision to say, oh, I'm going to incur my wrath on these people. But when you look at verse 23, it says, and they came in and took possession of it, but they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. It's because of disobedience. Because of disobedience. In verse 33, or in verse 30, it says, Because the children of Israel and the children of Judah had done only evil before me from their youth. This is the generation that forgot the Lord. They, there's no remembrance of the Lord. You have parents who didn't pass on the righteousness to the next generation. And so you have evil being done from the youth. He says, for the children of Israel have provoked me only to anger with the work of their hands, says the Lord. For this city has been to me a provocation of my anger and my fury from the day that they built it, even to this day. So I will remove it from before my eyes. You see, it's the people's decision. In verse 33, in verse 33 says, and they have turned their back. They have turned to me the back and not the face. Though I taught them. Rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction. It's like the word of God goes in one ear and out the other. You see what happens? In one ear and out the other. That's what happens with truth sometimes. You know, the seed of God. You know, what's the condition of my heart? What's the condition of your heart? Is my heart fertile soil in the hands of the Lord? Is your heart fertile soil in the hands of the Lord? I pray yes. And then he says this, going back to uh, 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 verse 37. In uh, Jeremiah 32, verse 37. Behold, I will gather them out of all, the, all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. So you see what the Lord is doing? He's chastising. He's disciplining those whom he loves. You know, thus fulfilling what we read in Hebrews. It's like an earthly father. And no disrespect to the Lord. But consider an earthly father. When, you know, his son has committed this egregious act. What father would say, oh, you know what? It's okay, son. No big deal. Or what father would discipline his son? You know, maybe give him a spanking. You know, say the son is like five years old. You know, I give him a little spanking. You know, if he's 15 year old, you know, the 15 year old nowadays, they're big. So it's like, you know, they'll knock you out. That's why you start young when they're little. Discipline a child. And it's like, wow, you know, maybe take away certain privileges and it's, you see, the Lord, what he does here in verse 37, he says, I will bring them back to this place and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. The Lord is very concerned about the next generation of righteousness. But what happens when you have parents that don't teach their kids about the Lord? 
You know, you see how the Israel is so hardcore for the Lord. They love the Lord. As for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. That's what Joshua said. And then Joshua, the people who heard Joshua, they're like, us too. We're going to be exactly the same way. Except that generation didn't tell their kids about the Lord. And then the next generation, they knew nothing about the Lord. And then you see the aftermath of that. A generation that does not know the Lord. But the Lord is bringing them back now. He says in verse 40, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, that I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in my land with all my heart and, all, and, and with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, Just as I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will bring them all the good that I have promised them. And this is the prophetic part, what we're studying in Matthew 27. He says, and fields will be bought in this land. This is, you know, you see the horrors of our study in Matthew 26 and 27, and it's going to get worse. The mocking, the rejection of Israel, but then now you have the mocking and rejection of Rome, both Jew and Gentile. But yet it's prophetic. The fields will be, will be bought in this land of which you say it is desolate. Without man or beast, it has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans, which are the Babylonians. And in verse nine, uh, 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 verse nine of the same chapter, it refers to 17 shekels, which is the weight for 30 pieces of silver. It's prophetic. This 30 pieces of silver that Judas gave back to the, you know, he threw it back to the, uh, 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 the Pharisees. And what did they do? They bought this land. All these things are prophetic. Verse 44, men will buy fields for money, sign deeds and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland and in the cities of the south. For I will cause their captives to return, says the Lord. Like, wow, this is an Old Testament prophecy about captives coming back. You say like, wow, how does that happen? The good shepherd. That's how that happens. Jesus Christ. This is also a prophecy. You know, the correlating prophecy in Zechariah 11. Turn with me to Zechariah 11. You know, about the worthless shepherd. Zechariah 11. Zechariah 11. Chapter 10. This is the prophet Zechariah. I love, you know, these, these beautiful, beautiful prophets. I love these guys so much because, well, you know, they, a lot of them were like, to the majority, they were crazy people. <laughs> they didn't, you know, they weren't seen, they weren't held in high esteem. But, you know, who cares? They, they didn't care. They were serving the Lord. And so in Zechariah 11, verse 10 says, and I took my staff, beauty, and cut in, cut it in two, that I might break the covenant which I had made with all their peoples. This is an Old Testament prophecy of the old covenant being broken, and then the newness of the new covenant in Luke twenty-two verse twenty, which we're going to study a little bit on Communion Sunday, when the Lord says in the upper room, "This is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you." 
But he continues in this prophecy in verse 11 says, so it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. And if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. Symbolic of a future event. In verse 13, this future event that I'm referring to is what we're studying in Matthew. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price they set for, set on me. Remember when Judas, they said, you know, they said, name your price. And Judas said 30 pieces of silver. And then they started to count 30 pieces of silver. That princely price they set on me. So I took 30 pieces of silver and threw them in the house into the house of the Lord for the potter. Then I cut into my other staff bonds that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. It's family in accordance of the flesh, but then there's a different family in accordance of the faith. The brotherhood of the saints, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see all these things, these Old Testament prophecies, the religious leaders, they should have, they should have been the ones to say, you know, wow, you know, this is being fulfilled. This is being fulfilled. This is being fulfilled. This, this, this. Oh my goodness. This is the prophesied Messiah. But no. Because they followed the letter of the law and they were hypocrites. They wanted to be seen as holy people. They said, wow, this Jesus Christ, let's kill him. Let's kill him. And then in verse 15, and the Lord said to me, next, Take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. For indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care. You see these hypocrites in Matthew 26 and 27? They don't care. They told Judas when Judas was like, you know, I have shed innocent blood. Instead of saying, okay, you know, bring me the first fruits, uh, bring me like a lamb or bring me a turtle dove in accordance with the law so that I can atone for your sin as the Lord has given. They said, what do we care? That's your problem. These foolish shepherds. For indeed, he says in verse 16, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those who are broken, nor feed those who stand still. But he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock or who forsakes the flock. A sword shall be against his arm or translates in the Hebrew as his strength. And against his right eye, his arm shall completely wither or his strength will completely dry up. And his right eye shall be totally blinded. That's these worthless shepherds here that we're seeing. These people who are given the responsibility to shepherd God's, God's people into truth. And what are they doing? They're the worthless shepherds. And pretty soon they're going to shout out to uh, 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 Pontius Pilate crucify him pretty soon we're not there yet they were blind you know all these things are prophesied about all these things in going back to matthew 27 verse 9 then was fulfilled what was spoken by jeremiah the prophet saying 
And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. This is fulfillment. These, these passages that we read in Jeremiah 32 and Zechariah 11, it's fulfillment. These horrors of the death of Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to read about because it's like, you know, you love the Lord so much. You fall in love with him deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you read these passages about, man, they're killing him. But the very means by which we're able to even call God Father, it's because of this heavenly transaction. Blood for blood. My sin is being transferred away from me. I no longer have to pay the price for my sin because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And so are you. Paradise lost, paradise gained in Jesus Christ. God is at work. God is making a way. God has made a way. What's the way? Jesus Christ. He's the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father. No man comes to the Father but through me. And that's what's so powerful about what the Lord is doing here. As difficult as it is to read about, these people who are these, these uh, worthless shepherds who are now saying, kill him conspiring we got to kill this guy but the whole time the lord is at work on passover week the lord himself is the pure spotless lamb about to be killed you see the old testament law the lord says kill this lamb and then take the door take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorposts of your house what do we do with the lamb of god we place the blood of the lamb of god over the doorpost of our heart it's so supernatural what the Lord is doing here. And so now we're going to have like, you know, we're going to do our, normally we do our communion first, but we're going to do our communion here. But I'm going to read a little bit from Matthew 26. It's our study here in Matthew 27 was in the morning, but that previous night in the upper room, in the upper room, the Lord tells them in verse 26 of Matthew 26. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to his gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. Then he took the then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant. This new covenant what we read in Zechariah, how it was broken or the old was broken. This is now the beginning of the new one, the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. You see, the Lord is doing this. He says in verse 29, but I say to you, I will not drink of the, this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. This is the very last time that the Lord partakes of this, but then he's going to partake of it again. It's when he returns again with his bride, with the church. See, the Lord is at work. So what we're going to do now is we're going to have...